Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curses you I will curse, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he, was, when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. They had come to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At the, at the time of Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an, alt so he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country at on the east with Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on stages toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are in week four now of Long Story Short. And we're going to continue in the book of Genesis today, but before we move ahead, I want us to take a minute to look back at where we've been. Two weeks ago, Dave talked about creation. From that incredible story, we learned how God created a beautiful, perfect creation with all plants and animals and humankind and God all living together in perfect harmony. God created, and, and when he was done creating, he said it was very good. But humankind, as we learned last week, we weren't satisf satisfied living in that kind of subordinate position to God. And the tempter came along and told Adam and Eve that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they themselves could become like God, and they took the bait. And in a way, the tempter was telling the truth, at least a half-truth, because when they ate from that tree, they did, in one sense, become like God. They became like God in a sense that they began to see and know and understand evil in a way that they hadn't before. And that knowledge of evil led them to feel shame. And that sense of shame led them to hide. They hid from God, they hid from each other. And so from that moment on, God's perfect creation was marred by sin. That, that connection, that special connection that God had with humankind was severed. And I suppose that could have been the end of the story. God created everything perfect, humans messed it up, the end. 
But fortunately for us, God is bigger than that. God is better than that. And the rest of this book tells the story of just how big and how good our God really is. The Bible tells the story of a God who will never give up. A God who loves his people so passionately, who desires a relationship with us so desperately that he pursues us to the very end until his perfect, once perfect creation could be made perfect once more. And that story begins with Abraham. But we need to remember as we dig into every biblical story in this series that the story of the Bible isn't just a story of something that happened a long time ago. Every biblical story is a story of something that is happening now. And the story that we see take place in Abraham's life, it is our story too. The Bible tells us, it sets a pattern for us of what the life with God looks like. So the pattern that we're going to see in Abraham's story, it's a pattern that we're going to see in our lives too. And it looks a little something like this. God chooses. We respond. We wait. And God is faithful. So let's break those steps down together. We're going to look how this pattern plays out in Abraham's life and in yours and in mine. But before we get to it, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Faithful, loving God. God who reaches out to us in love before we've ever shown even an ounce of love to you. Reach out to our minds and our hearts now to speak your word of truth and love and grace just where we need it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you brought your Bible today or if you have a Bible near you, I'd invite you to turn to Genesis 12. Uh, We heard it read just a moment ago so well, but we're going to look at it a little more closely. Genesis 12, we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Pause there for a minute. If ever you feel the desire to go back, and if you really like reading those lists of names that the Bible seems so fond of, there's a few of them. There's a good long list in chapter 11 that tells us where Abraham came from. Abraham is the great, 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 eight times great grandson of Noah. Uh, Noah's a story we're familiar with. Uh, Abram came after him. His father was Terah, and we're told in chapter 11 that uh, Terah took his sons and all his family, and they settled in the land of Haran. That's the world, that's the land that Abram, Abraham knew. Same guy, different name at different times, same person. But here at the point that we meet Abraham, he knows nothing of God. Abraham isn't a Jew. He's certainly not a Christian. Those categories didn't exist yet. So he 
likely at this point where we meet him, worshipped a, a, a moon god or, or some kind of family deity. That was the cultural custom at the time. Abraham is not a seeker of God. He has done nothing to gain God's attention or God's favor. And yet, still, God shows up and offers Abraham this invitation to be part of God's story. God chooses. Something really important we need to understand about our life with God is God chooses. The invitation that God extends to Abraham was based 100% on God's purposes and 0% on Abraham's perfection. Abraham did not earn this choice. God chose Abraham. And God chooses you. God chooses me, God chooses us. If you don't hear anything else today, just please hear this. God always makes the first move. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been or where you've been. It does not matter how far you may have drifted from God. God's choice for you, God chooses you, not because you're perfect, because, but because God has a purpose. And God chooses you. God chose Abraham. God promised to bless Abraham, to make him a great nation, to bless him so abundantly, so greatly that all the other nations of the earth would be blessed through him. God chooses, but God does not force. God invites, and then God waits. God does his part, but then Abraham, Abraham has his part to play as well. God chooses. And then the next step is we respond. And going back to chapter 12 now, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and he set forth to go to the land of Canaan. God chooses Abraham. But now it's up to Abraham to respond. Abraham, at this point, has a difficult choice to make. To receive God's blessing, well, there was a lot of things he had to let go of. He had to empty his hands so that they could be filled by God's blessing. So he had to let go of his family. He had to, to let go of his people. He had to let go of, of his perceived future. Every anchor that kind of tied his identity to the ground, he had to let it all go. Abraham had to choose to go to a place he had never seen based on the call of a God he had never met. Which is to say, if Abraham were to respond in faith, to say yes to God's call, yes to God's choice, his response would have to be one of absolute courage and very little certainty. His response of obedience to the call of God was based on courage, not certainty. God chooses, and we respond. So a question for you to consider today is how is God leading you to respond in faith? 
In what ways might God be inviting you to follow him into the unknown? Where, where could God be calling you to respond with courage? Not certainty. Could be something in your career or your family life. Maybe it's a decision to serve in ministry in some way. Or maybe, maybe it's, it's a call, a, a, a nudging your kind of feeling to, to use your money, to, to give away more of it for God's purposes in the world. For some of you, I know it's just that kind of, you're just still not quite there, not quite ready to take that step to say yes to that foundational, fundamental decision to following Jesus with your whole life. I didn't say this, and this isn't written down. I didn't say it at the last service, but I just feel this prompting in my own spirit to just specifically say, and maybe this is God, maybe this is what I ate for breakfast. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how you know it's God. You don't always. But I have a sense that there's at least one man listening to this message today who's feeling that kind of urge, that nudge, that prompting that maybe you should attend this next great banquet retreat but there's something, there's all the reasons. There's always something, there's always lots of somethings. Why not to? So if that's you, if you kind of feel like, oh man, is she calling me out? Is she reading my emails? No. But I just put that out for you to consider. Whatever it is, if it is God calling, you're not gonna be able to make that decision from a place of certainty. It is going to require courage. So God chooses, we respond, and then comes the really good news. You're really gonna like this next step in the pattern of life with God, because God chooses, we respond by taking a step of courage to follow him into the unknown, and then we wait. You like that one? Do people enjoy waiting, anyone? Didn't think so. I don't. You can ask my family how well I do in traffic. It's not well. See, Abraham call, or God calls Abraham to go, and Abraham went. He took this step of courage. He went from his land, from his kindred, from his father's house. He began this journey to a land that God was yet to show him, and he was 75 years old when he did it. But he believed God's promise that God would give him an heir, that God would give him a son. And then five years pass. Ten years pass. Nothing's happened. No son. No descendants. No promise. Abraham is over 80 years old by now. So understandably, he is thinking that probably time's running out. So skipping ahead again in your Bibles, we're going to look at chapter 15. Starting at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward is, shall be very great. There's that promise again. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That's the son of one of Abraham's servant girls. A common practice at the time was if you had no son, your inheritance would pass along to somebody like this in your household. And Abram said, you have given me no offspring. 
So a slave born in my house is to be my heir. See, God had made this promise. He's not wrong. God made a promise to Abraham. And so trusting that promise to be true, Abraham responded by stepping out in faith. And then he had to wait. And the reality is you will too. Let's say, let's say that happens. Let's, let's just imagine you, you hear God's call to take a risk and you say yes. You, you step out in faith. You trust God. You summon up all your courage so you leave a, a comfortable job for, for another calling. Or you use a gift that God has given you even though it kind of scares you to death. Or, 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 or you, you decide to, to give your money more generously than, than you have previously felt comfortable with. Or, or you take a relational risk even though you're terrified of rejection. Or you say yes and you go to the great banquet and you have to sleep on those god-awful mattresses here in the church for three whole nights. Or you admit you have a problem and you ask for help. You let go and you let God, what next? Well, maybe your risk will pay off immediately. Maybe your faith will double. Maybe your friends will marvel. Maybe. But not always. More often than not, our decision to respond in faith is followed by a time of waiting which is not something any of us want to do. Especially here in America, we are not particularly known for being patient. Author Robert Levine, in a book entitled A Geography of Time, suggests that we as Americans might consider uh, uh, creating a new unit of time. And that unit of time, he, he de determined we should call the Honko Second. Now, the honko second, how you measure it, is, is the time that passes in between when the traffic light turns green and the car behind you honks. <laughs> and he has said that, that his claim is the honko second is the smallest unit of time measurable in science. None of us like to wait. But waiting, it seems... It's part of life. It's certainly part of the Christian life. Every person who has ever followed God has had a time in their life when they have had to wait. And it's the waiting, the clumsy, awkward child who's just waiting for the day that they get picked first on the playground. There's the waiting of the woman who wants to find work that is significant and meaningful but just can't seem to find it. The man who struggles under the incredible weight of anxiety or depression, who's just waiting for a day that it's not so hard to get out of bed in the morning. The student who feels overwhelmed by anxiety that some days her heart feels like it just might explode out of her chest and she's waiting for a day when she can feel some relief. There's a single person who is waiting and hoping that God might have marriage in store, but is beginning to despair. The waiting of the married couple who's trying to conceive for months or even years to no avail. The persons of color who still continue to wait for a day when everyone's children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We 
wait. Lewis Smedes writes, waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Waiting may be the hardest thing we are ever called to do. So if waiting is so hard, why why do we have to do it? Why does God make us do it? If God can do anything, why doesn't he bring us relief and help and answers now? Well, the answer, in part at least, is that what God does us, does in us while we wait, well, that's just as important as what it is that we are waiting for. What God does us in us while we wait is just as or sometimes more important than what it is we are waiting for. Something happens inside of us while we wait that likely would not happen if we didn't have to wait, if we got the very thing we wanted the moment that we wanted it. You may have heard uh, of the psychological test that was performed many, many years ago. It's called the marshmallow test. A group of researchers got together and, and they brought in one by one a four-year-old child into a room and they placed in front of them one marshmallow. And they told them, they said, you can eat this marshmallow. I'm going to leave, leave the room for a second. You know, it's up to you. But just so you know, if when I come back you have waited... You haven't eaten that one marshmallow. When I come back, you will get two marshmallows. And so they left the room and they observed what the children did while they waited. Some were able to resist. Some were able with many, many very cute, you can see little videos on YouTube later, of the strategies that they employed to be able to resist the temptation to wait. Some were not. Some just as soon as that researcher left the room, into their mouth the marshmallow went. But here's where this gets interesting. Team of researchers followed these kids for many, many years after this test, and those who were able to wait as four-year-olds grew up to be more socially competent, better able to cope with stress, less likely to give up, give in under pressure than those who could not wait. Turns out waiting could be good for us. The Bible affirms this. In a letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul says that while we are waiting for God to set things right in the world, we suffer. Right? When we wait, we suffer. But suffering, he says, it produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces Hope. God is producing these qualities in us as we wait. Waiting is not something we just do while we kind of just twiddle our thumbs and wait for God to give us what we want. Waiting is part of the process of God making us the people he wants us to become. So that's all well and good. But when we're waiting, we really want to kind of get down to brass tacks. Like, okay, how do we do it then? How do we wait 
with faith, with trust, with hope. Well, Abraham gives us a good model. What Abraham did while he waited was he talked to God about it. He got real honest with God about it, about his fears, about his frustrations. Abraham held nothing back. See, all of us are going to go through times where all of us are going to go through experiences that make us question God, that make us wonder about God's faithfulness. Is it really true? And left unexpressed, when we keep them inside, those questions, they start to gnaw at our faith. So some of us take one step or we'll maybe express those questions, express those doubts, those concerns to other people. Say, ah, I'm struggling with my faith. I don't know what God is doing. And that's good. It's better than keeping it all inside where it kind of festers. But I'd suggest that Abraham gives us a better model. He doesn't keep them inside. He doesn't talk with his friends. He takes those questions directly to God. The reality is God isn't going to be shocked when you tell him the truth about what you're going through. God knows our innermost thoughts anyway. What God wants is for us to trust him enough to tell him about it, to tell him all of our hurts, all of our disappointments, even if it's God that we are disappointed in. Trust him enough to tell him about it. In this time of waiting, Abraham put the whole matter before God. He said, look, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. I have no children, and I can't see how in the world your promises will ever be fulfilled. Abraham was honest with God while he waited. And that's when God spoke to him. That's when God gave Abraham a word he would hang on to for years to come. Again, in chapter 15, verse 4. It says, But the word of the Lord came to him. He said, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. And God brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. I love this part of the story. I love that when Abraham comes to God and he's totally honest, he lets God have it with all his doubts and all his fears, all his frustrations and all his worries. How does God respond? Does God lecture him or rebuke him or get mad at him? No. God meets Abraham in the dead of night terrible time when our worst fears come out to play, when we lie in our beds just paralyzed with anxiety. That's when God gives Abraham this visual reminder of his promise. And so any time, any night in the future when those fears come back, whenever Abraham woke up worrying, all he had to do was look up. And remember what God had said. He could remember that God would be faithful. Our friends, the story of Genesis, the story of Scripture, the story of all our lives is that every story starts and ends with God. 
God chooses, God promises, and God is faithful. God is always faithful. God was faithful to Abraham. In God's perfect timing, Isaac was born. Against all odds, Abraham and Sarah did have a son. And from Isaac came Jacob. From Jacob came 12 sons, who in turn would become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then stick around for a little while. Because as we continue reading through long story short together, we're going to get to the Gospel of Matthew, and you're going to find another great list of names there in chapter 1. Name after name, generation after generation, starts with Abraham and leads all the way to Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, Matthew says, the son of David, son of Abraham. God's promise to Abraham led all the way to Jesus, but it didn't stop there. For as the writer of the book of Galatians points out, he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. That's you and me. Thousands of years later, the number of generations of generations of descendants and descendants of Abraham keep growing and growing and growing. God promised Abraham, look toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able. That's how many your descendants shall be. And we are here today as living proof. God is faithful. So when we put our trust in Jesus, when we accept that we have been chosen by God, when we respond by taking that courageous step of faith, when we turn to God with our questions as we wait, when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we are counted as one of Abraham's descendants. And if we are counted as one of Abraham's descendants, well, that means that every single promise that God has ever made to any one of his people, those promises, they're not just for them, they're for you and for me as well. So as you continue to read, you're going to read them, and I will just highlight them, underline them, write them down, because they are for you. Promises like, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Promises like, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. Promises like the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Promises like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Friends, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you are going through, believe, no, God is faithful. He was faithful to keep his promises to Abraham. He will be faithful to keep his promises to you. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. 
That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Spotify. 